Not today, Bubba. Go get him, Bubba. Love you. Not today, Bubba. Just Gordy. Gordy. Can I bother you for a second? All right, folks. Coming to you live here, episode 31. Of the Brantley Dumb Show, you know how we do this dance. That is Grace Ibrahim behind the glass on the ones and twos. I'm Big Game Bob. Coming to you to your local airwaves, however you're listening, why ever you're listening. We're just happy you are indeed listening. Folks, coming in hot, we got an interview day today. Who sits down for the interview? I'll tell you. A gentleman by the name of Herman Weisberg. Herman Weisberg, and I don't say this word lightly, is one of the top private investigators, one of the most high-profile private investigators in the country. He was a police detective for the New York City Police Department as well. He's cracked, solved, worked on all types, hundreds and hundreds of cases. Now, he got his start as a private investigator Well, really the case that broke him through that I'm going to be speaking with him a lot about today. He's worked both spectrums of things, and you'll find that out later. He worked on a case. It's called, for those of you who don't remember, it was on Dateline and all of this stuff. A lady by the name of Victoria Nasarova, who was a Russian fugitive that fled to the United States. She was wanted for murder. She had been just going throughout. She would poison guys. It was just an evil, evil girl. She ends up murdering a lady in Russia, murdering her, and ends up stealing from her apartment and, and whatnot. And the daughter of the mother that was murdered knew that she was murdered by this lady. It was her new friend, and she was always kind of skeptical of this Victoria Nazarova. Now, Nadia Ford, who is the daughter living in Brooklyn, knew that her mother was killed in Russia. It wasn't set in stone, but she just knew, she just had that feeling that her mother had been murdered by her new friend, Victoria Nasarova. The daughter, Nadia Ford, travels, and the distance this girl goes to track down her mother's killer is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. She goes out to Russia and meets with this Victoria Nasarova and is claiming that she did indeed kill her mother. She goes to the police department. Police department won't do anything. Why won't the police department do anything? Turns out one of the police officers in the Russia police department was sleeping with Victoria Nasarova, having an affair with her. So the police department was doing nothing for this poor girl whose, daughter, whose mother was murdered, and she can't prove that she was murdered. So what does she do? She goes to Herman Weisberg, who's able to actually not only crack the case, but hunt down this Victoria Nasarova, who fled from Russia to the United States, tracks her down. Turns out she's living five blocks away. From Nadia Ford. Tracks her down, cracks the case. Folks, I'm telling you, look up this case. It's absolutely fascinating. He was able to track it down from a Facebook photo that, she, that Victoria Nazarova had. It's just, it's hard for me to even explain the magnitude of this case, the, the distance that the daughter goes to find out who had killed her mother and where this Victoria Nasarova is. Um, Herman Weisberg ends up assisting in getting her arrested. Fascinating stuff. 
Now, I, I say both sides to the spectrum because there's also another thing if you look up Herman Weisberg. And this sat with me for a while. I talked to friends about it, you know, before we had done this interview. And Herman Weisberg, as well, was hired by the defense team for Harvey Weinstein, um, which in itself, I mean, you want to talk about magnitude, maybe one of the biggest cases in American history. Um, obviously, an extremely fragile subject, which is why I spend so much time, you know, just thinking of, of, of how to go about this interview, how do I approach it. Look, my job as the interviewer is to not make assumptions, not be the one to pick wrong or right. My job as the interview is to let you folks decide, you know, and make that judgment on somebody. Now, again, Herman Weisberg has done some incredible, incredible things for people. And something that, you know, even I had spoken to him before, even the interview, was his thing is that, his job as a private investigator is not just to back the, the, his client, but it's to work for the defense team to bring out the truth. And he said that's his only job, to bring out the truth. I wanted to bring him on for the interview. As you can imagine, it's a fascinating interview. I, I could not have the interview without asking him some tough questions and challenging him about Harvey Weinstein and how he could possibly – work for a guy that is that evil and that much of a scumbag. So I thought to myself, look, I'm, you know, I want to bring him in for the interview and talk about all these cases that he's cracked, but it would be a shame for me to have him on without touching on that subject and without asking some hard hitting questions on how, you know, he could work for a guy or work for a guy's defense team that worked for Harvey Weinstein. It, it's really fascinating. It's a lot to take in. I'm going to bring him on now. This is Herman Weisberg, private investigator. Folks, enjoy the show. Well, Grace, I've been wheeling and dealing so long today in the studio that I forgot I have not even ate. But that's okay. Why is that okay? Because the Brindley Dumb Show is presented to you by Postmates. For a limited time, Postmates has given our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days using promo code BROBIBLE. $100 of free delivery credit with Postmates. Download that app now. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, folks, here we are, the Brilliantly Dumb Show. We're sitting here with Herman Weisberg. For those of you wondering who Herman Weisberg is, let me tell you. Herman Weisberg is a former New York City Police Department detective. Known for his work as a private investigator, Weisberg is credited with locating Russian fugitive Victoria Nasarova. Weisberg is the founder and managing director of the Sage Intelligence Group. Herman, before we get into anything, I did my research on you, which consists of Google and YouTube. Did you do it on me? Because something tells me your research was a lot more detailed than mine. Is there anything in the databases or anything that I need to worry about? Now, I, you know, everybody asks me, oh, you're looking into your friends, you do stuff. I do that for a living. It's not like you're, you're going to sit there and do a podcast on a date. You know? <laughs> this is what I do, but I'd rather not know a lot of things about you, Robbie. I'd rather just watch what you put out there. You're in the entertainment business. It's fun for me, and I get to know you my own way. But 
Beautiful. And you know what? For my sake, everybody I meet, that's a little weird, you know? Let's just leave it at that then, Herman. I I, I like it that way. But we are going to dive in a little bit to you. I actually, when I went to go do my research outside of Google and YouTube, our mutual friend, Kenny Katz and Saquon Barkley, I asked them, I said, tell me a little something about Herman Weisberg, okay? Now, what, (laughs) what they told me is that Herman Weisberg is not your guy. Gavin Weisberg, your son, goes to the Saquon Barkley football camp. He's 12 for 12 with two touchdowns, one of those touchdowns to Saquon Barkley. Herman, do I got the wrong interview here? I think you do. I I, I have to (laughs) wait until his management gets it together, though, because he's got – Gavin's got a lot of – what do you call those things? You know, a lot of wants and needs. He's a very needy guy. So you let Cuz manage that and I'll, you deal with me. It's a lot easier to deal we'll with. We'll deal with you for the meantime, okay? Yeah. Now, yeah. Herman, let me it's ask nice you something. I think of my son, though. He's a the, great football player. <laughs> there is, I can imagine if he's going 12 for 12. Yeah. If, I, if I were, and Cuz had described it this way, multiple people describe you. Is it a reasonable thing? to say that you, to call you the real life Ray Donovan. Is that, is that reasonable? No, I, I, uh, look, I watched that show for the first two seasons. Great show. I, I actually, I could embarrassingly tell you this. I fell in love with the guy's car. I went out and leased that car. I had to get rid of it. I, I paid a ton of money to get out of that lease because people were pointing and saying, oh, you got Ray Donovan's car. I felt like an idiot. I, who knew that show would take off like that? But That's why they're saying it. It's not because you're an investigator. <laughs> it's just a nice car. But the, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a show about a guy. Uh, it's interesting. He works for lawyers. That's why the, uh, that, that came. Most lawyers think of me as about as close as, as close as they want to get to that character or that character type because he's a criminal. The show got a little silly. I always liked its style and everything like that. So I take it as a compliment. But me, I work, I worked in law enforcement. Luckily, I'm out of it now because this would not be, it's a great job to be retired from. Yes, got that right, unfortunately. I feel bad for my former brothers and sisters in blue. But, uh, and, and the world and uh, everything that's going on there. It's just a sad situation. I'm glad maybe some good change will come out of this on, on everybody's side. Totally. But, so I got that out of the way. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you're, you're clear. You're clear. <laughs> I just want to establish <laughs> But I, I, uh, I was very lucky. I did a job that I loved a lot. I mean, I made a lot of friends. I was twirling a nightstick and walking around in a uniform. And I was in the age of community policing. I took well to that. I'm a people person. And then my last 10 years, I was assigned to the district attorney's office. So I got to work with lawyers. And in complex, complex cases, there are some cases that the police department can't do on their own and the DA's office can't do on their own. And it's necessary to get the two together. But in most in the real world, it's it's like an us against them mentality. Cops right. do the investigation, the lawyers and the prosecutors prosecute people and take it to trial. So I kind of put those two things together while working for the DA's squad for my last 10 years. And I was fortunate enough to work with really smart prosecutors and really smart people. And I, I, I was eligible to retire. Let me turn this thing down. I was eligible to retire. So I, uh, I took the uh, pension and ran. And I started this company just, there's a place where lawyers get to where they need somebody like me. Sometimes it's just to witness something. Sometimes it's to go out there and knock on doors that they're not going to do. But that's the difference. I work at the behest of attorneys. At the end of the day, Robbie, I I only care about the truth. 
And the lawyers need to know the truth. And they like that about me because if I go out and do a criminal defense, a very complex white collar criminal defense investigation and I have people out doing interviews and I'm conducting interviews and I find out something that's not going to work well, I don't look to hide it. I tell the lawyer, this is what you're going to come up with, that trial. It's going to be, right. it's going to be a situation. So let's and deal with that. And that's what they're hiring you to do. Because I am not a fixer like Ray Donovan is. I do deal with problem solving, but I fix them in a, in a very legal way. Uh, and usually, I can tell you, at the end of the day, I do it so it's good for everybody. You know, Ray Donovan goes around with a baseball bat. You know, I, I probably, I could have retired a couple of times because people ask me to do crazy stuff for them and I don't do it. But I prefer doing what I do. I help the lawyers. I, I thoroughly investigate any situation to help the lawyers, whether it's getting somebody into jail, which is not always as easy as it looks, or to get somebody out of jail that was wrongfully accused of something. So is that what intrigues you about, you know, then you turn into a private investigator after being a detective? What, what could you get out of being a private investigator that you couldn't out of being a detective? A minimum retainer of $10,000. Bingo. <laughs> Very good answer well, there, Herbie. Yeah, well, that's one thing. But the other thing is I have little to no bureaucracy. I, I'm not a big email guy. My, uh, the paperwork is probably lacking. Uh, uh, you know, we use our communication skills a lot. Uh, and I, I never liked the bureaucracy of the police department. I didn't like that something could be so rigid. You know, it's a paramilitary organization, as we all know. And it's so rigid and set in their ways of how to conduct an investigation. But an investigation is the ones that I'm doing have never been investigated before. So how is somebody going to tell me based on the last hundred investigations to do it their way? So I like thinking outside the box. I like, I have a, a, an incredible team assembled of former law enforcement, NYPD, FBI, DEA, Secret Service. I, I, I took the best of everybody that I've met. And then I've grown it a little bit uh, along the years by meeting people that they want to bring into the, into this uh, group. We call it an intelligence group. Uh, I love, I take my leash off my people and I let them run wild to do the investigation. I know that they're all above board. I know they do everything legally. We all have families and lives to get through and licenses to protect. So uh, if you just think outside the box when you're doing private investigations, it's a win for everybody. You try to think outside the box in a police department and that's one of the problems there. It's you're going to lose because your bosses are going to say, why you can't do it like that. And I, I always was the one that wanted to raise my hand and say, why not? It's working. It's not, your way is not going to work this way. is So with all due respect to my old job, it's just a bureaucracy like everything else. And they're too set in checking every box and dotting all of the I's and crossing the T's. I like going out there and, and solving the problem a legal way and a, a, a creative way that makes everybody win at the end of the day. Now, Herman, if you could just take me back to when you were a detective, is it fair to say that you have to be built, especially in New York, do you have to be built a certain way to see the type of shit that, that you've seen throughout your career? It depends on what you do. You know, every, it's a big job. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's any given time, there's about 30,000 cops out there. Uh, there's, that's a, that's a, a good thing and a bad thing too. There's a place for people who can handle certain things. They become administrative people. And they're great at it. And it's a necessary part of the police department. Then there are people that like the blood and gut stuff. So there's a place for them. Everybody's got their place if they can get there. Uh, but it takes some doing. Uh, you got to prove yourself. 
as we're all saying, it is, uh, the police department is very difficult to navigate for anybody. Uh, look, I, I, I'm not going to play this too hard, but my name is Herman Weisberg. I'm a Jewish kid from Long Island. I got perceived as the lefty liberal uh, wannabe intellectual Jew from Long Island through no fault of my own. I don't know. I didn't right. even go to college. Yeah, you know? um, but you get cops as much as anybody in any walk of life. They just have these preconceived notions of everybody. And I'm not going to call it racism or bias or anything like that. But it's just really hard to prove yourself in an atmosphere like that. Um, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life are from the police department. And some of the people, I, if their guts were on fire, I wouldn't spit down their throat. Right. You know, it's just one of those things. So that makes it difficult because you got to, I know what you were going, Robbie, you were talking about, you know, standing over a dead body at four o'clock in the morning with, uh, you know, while you're trying not to gag. Um, and Which that's I'm sure you've had but, in your career. Yeah, everybody, you know, any, any cop that did any time on the street had right. some more than others, but everybody's going through their moments. I mean, uh, you get a front row seat to the, to the craziest show in the world. So you got to be built a little bit. Your mindset has to be open for things like that. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. I never wanted to be the guy wondering what was going on behind, you know, that, uh, the, you know, that the yellow tape, cop, the yellow right, right. tape, all of that. Look, let me tell you, first time when you're a detective and you get to put that shield in your, in your lapel and then you pick up that tape, you, you almost want to look around to see if anybody saw you do that, you know? It's a funny, it's a funny thing to think about, but it's like, it's a cool feeling. You know, I'm about to go have an impact on something. And I know it could be a bad guy laying there. It could be a victim of a crime. It could be anything. It's an incredible insight into the human psyche to be a detective, even for 15 minutes. That's why, you know, now there will never be another cop show on TV after all that's going on here. And, uh, but well, I, I really just, an amazing the Life PD, which was a big cop show, even yeah. just got taken down. Um, you know, and something that I always think about you know, with this. And, and like you said, you put on that badge. It's an honor. It's got to be. And there's tremendous amount of people relying on you. How do you, when you see something or you're in such an extreme case, is it hard to separate it from your personal life? You're out there 10, 12 hours a day, you know, whatever it is, dealing with whether it be a murder, whatever it may be, then you got to go home and now be a family man, be a dad. Is it hard to kind of separate the two? I, I must be a weirdo. I guess some people do have that problem. I don't. I don't take the stress home with me on things like that. I didn't have kids at the time when I was a cop. I had kids later on in life. I got out in uh, 2010. Um, so my daughter was a little baby. But, you know, I'm, I'm a happily married guy. My wife asks me questions about my job now, and I don't tell her anything. I, uh, thing right. I said to you before, it's called a private investigation, not a public investigation. I mean, this COVID thing is making me crazy. Like, <laughs> you know. I, can't I said work. to you before the interview, you do not seem like a guy who would do very well in quarantine. You got to be on the go. No, and my neighbors must think I'm nuts because I go out to my car and, and have conversations on Bluetooth with people instead of, instead of doing it in the house. Because I, I just don't think it's, it's proper. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, you are, maybe you are a little bit nuts. Who knows? <laughs> well, I'm nuts. Everybody's <laughs> nuts. I'm, I'm definitely uh, certifiable. Herman, as a, as a private investigator, what, what's the worst type of people – to deal with. Have you ever had cases where somebody comes to you and they need help and you hear their story, you hear what's going on and to the point where you don't believe them so you won't work with them? Have you had those type of instances? Well, what's great about the way I approach the work is, like I said before, I it's, it's good for business too. I get my work, I would say 99% of it from lawyers. 
So they've already passed a partial sniff test from their lawyer who decided that it's time to call up the Sage Intelligence Group and ask them to see if they can assist on this one. Right. So that's great because I work with some of the most seasoned, smartest lawyers or former prosecutors and AUSAs. So I have that advantage that I'm going into a situation where, A, I'm dealing with people that could afford a lawyer of that caliber. So I already know at least, and it's not everything because some of the dopiest people I ever met have the most money too. Most money, right. Um, everybody knows that. But there's a, there's a small... I've said no to a, a couple of cases that I probably kick myself for economically, but I love saying no to these people, the, the people, the masters in the universe that think they're charged with, you know, they're accused of a crime. It's ugly. And they still won't drop the, uh, the, the defense. When you walk into a doctor's office and a guy wants to examine you, you don't say, I'm leaving my pants on. I'm, I'm not taking my shirt off. What? I'm sitting here naked in your office. So if you don't want to, my father taught me something. You always be truthful to three people. Your father, your lawyer, uh, and your doctor. And nobody that, love that. So it's an important thing to keep in mind. You can't bullshit a lawyer. You got to tell him everything because he's got to know it's around the corner. And there's the attorney-client privilege that actually, you know, that's that privilege is done so lawyers can hear the whole naked truth and defend you to the best of their ability. You know, there's very few exceptions to that. The guy says he's going to plan a murder. The lawyer's got to call uh, the authorities. But besides that, you can trust a good lawyer. And you need to have that kind of confidence in each other. So I've had a couple of masters in the universe that thought that they didn't want to deal with things the right way or they didn't want to be truthful. That's the worst person I could deal with. So the times you've walked away from those people, is it because, A, you think they're lying or is it because they're just not telling you everything that you need to know to do your part? Both. And I, I think – when you're in trouble and you're already on the phone with your lawyer and then you're at a conference table with me and my people, yeah, you really have to turn down the, uh, the aggression on there. It's not, I don't care. Look, at the end of the day, I've worked for some of the biggest pricks in the world. Right. Literally. And, uh, and I will continue to do so. And I guess I'm not explaining right, Robbie, but the worst people for me to deal with are the people that can't accept their shortcomings and what they've done wrong and want to fix them. They just want to deny, 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 or not, or not deal with anything. And that's very difficult for me to get through at the end of the day, where I become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. I always like to be, I, I, I tell people all the time, I don't deal with problems. I deal with solutions. And if you're not ready to admit you have a problem, then what do you need me for? Yeah, I just right. wasted my, half my day getting over here to your lawyer's conference room. So that, that, that's my little barometer of who I don't like to deal with, people that don't realize that they have a problem. So do you think there's lawyers and, and investigators out there that aren't doing it, that, that, that do just look at it from an economics standpoint or a financial standpoint and are supporting somebody or defending somebody even though they know they're either wrong or lying? I, I get accused of it, and I don't do that. So I know for a fact that it's out there. It's got to be. There's, everybody's entitled to a, a, a good defense in this country. You know, Anybody can point the figure at somebody, so you need the balance. The balance is that you need a thorough investigation conducted on your behalf. But you need to get the truth. That's what me and my people always aspire to do. It's interesting. I, I end up ringing somebody's doorbell and I tell them what I'm doing. And, and the other side, you know, it's their adversaries, I guess. They, or they view themselves that way. It takes me a while sometimes to explain to people, I, don't, I only want to hear the truth. I'm not trying to twist your words. That's witness tampering. That's not what I'm doing. I'm conducting an investigation. And if I don't speak to you, I'm not conducting the, the investigation properly. 
Um, I also deal with, with some, uh, some things that people perceive, you know, we were joking about before the, uh, that mistress whisperer stuff. Yep. That's ugly business. But by the time that gets to my desk or that I'm sitting at the conference table with a lawyer, that means that my client is a victim. Otherwise I won't help. If the other side hasn't done a crime, hasn't tried to uh, attempted grand larceny by extortion or coercion or any other, even if it's stalking or anything like that, if it hasn't risen to a crime, I, I don't get involved. That's not my, my thing. Um, so again, I probably lost track of your question there. There are a couple of, I'm sure in every industry, there's people that are up to, to no good. Except but it's, but in, in the podcast it's industry, interesting though, Herman, and I could see why people, from what I understand from, you know, what you're telling me, you're not, although you're working with the defense, your main job is just bringing out the truth. Every single time. So it's not necessarily like you're taking sides. You're more just trying to bring out the truth. I worked on the other side. I know that I wasn't digging up things to prove somebody innocent. I was digging up things to prove somebody guilty. So if nobody's going to do that on that side, somebody's definitely got to do it on, on our side. Uh, and look, I don't take those. I don't take a lot of cases when it comes to criminal defense. I'll do, I do white collar criminal defense. I do a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, complex criminal defense. If it's the right attorney working like, uh, you know, we've seen in the newspapers, I worked with uh, Ben Brothman and who's yep, a, big one. incredible, incredible lawyer. I've worked with, uh, I'm not going to start naming names here, but I've worked with fantastic attorneys. Uh, I like working with them because they get it and they want to know everything. And I've seen them show great prudence of not being dirty people. So everybody I work with are not, I just don't deal with the dirt bags of the, of the world and defense lawyers, prosecutors, they all have their issues. There's probably bad prosecutors. I never came across one, but I've definitely read enough stories and seen in the newspapers and there's definitely really bad defense attorneys. I'm lucky. I get to pick and choose, you know, there's a, it's an unending amount of work for me to do. Herm, one of the definite good sides, the brighter sides to all of this, maybe I and I'll, I, that's something for you to answer, a highlight in your career. If you could just talk me through the Victoria Nasarova case is one of the most fascinating. I'm big on these Dateline stuffs and everything. This is one of the most fascinating murder cases I, I think I've ever seen. If you could just tell the, the people of the show, just the, the summary of the case, how this case was presented to you. So that, that's a weird one, because you talk about somebody, that when I wasn't working for a lawyer, and that's why it came into the public. This uh, is the I, private investigator, Herman Weisberg. Yeah, I get a call from a woman we all affectionately call the, the mitzvah lady in our office. A nice woman. She's about this tall. She's very sweetest sweetheart. Uh, she's like everybody's grandma. She's a religious woman and she does nice things. She calls them mitzvahs for people, whether it's their her housekeeper is going through a bad divorce or anything else. She has one of her, I don't even know if they were employees or ex-employees or a friend of employees. The, the mitzvah lady calls me and says, you know, I won't do an impression of her, but I could. She says, you know, come to my office. There's a really big problem over here. I fly over there because I do anything for this lady. First, I like working for her. And second, she writes me checks for other people. So yeah. I have to appreciate that. I get to her office. There's a, a woman in, crying in tears. I start listening to the story and I'm saying to myself, holy shit. Now I'm, that's it. I guess there's no more me and a mitzvah lady. I can't do anything for this poor woman. She starts telling me about a homicide in Russia that's unsolved. And the, bad, the, the murderer 
is now in Brooklyn, but she pulls out paper after paper and business cards of, you know, FBI agents and Homeland Security and prosecutors and detectives. And she knows that the murderers in Brooklyn, the, the, the victim's mother, the victim's daughter is the person sitting. Nadia Ford, the correct? Nadia Ford, yeah, lovely person. Yep. A great investigator herself by virtue of just tenacity. <laughs> that's, <laughs> what makes this, that's what makes yeah. the story so great is if she so, had too. known her mom was killed, she believed that she knew it. The measures this daughter of the mom that was killed goes to to find her killer and where she is is fascinating. Do you, how much pressure, she's obviously so upset, she's trying to find out who her mom's killer is. How much pressure is on you now? You're dealing with Russia as well. Are you feeling the pressure, Herman? So much so. Look, I have insomnia anyway, and I get most of my work done when I'm sitting with my laptop in the middle of the night, you know, like a pillow over here so I don't wake up the bride. Uh, I sat up countless nights staring at this Facebook. I had nothing to work with. If the FBI can't get her and uh, you know Homeland Security can't track her and the police department arrested her twice and let her go already, how am I supposed to do this? But that's where, again, the NYPD, I would have been out there doing the same thing that they all did, okay. knocking on doors, interviewing people, running like, I got to do it thinking outside the box. If I ever gave an overtime slip to my old boss and said, oh, I was staring at her Facebook account for the last 16 hours at home, First of all, every cop would have punched me in the face because we're a union and you can't work outside. Here. You know, you can't work on your own time. Your hours. So uh, <laughs> my friends won't like that so much. But at the end of the day, I thought outside the box. I stared enough at this woman's Facebook that I, I might as well have been in some of the pictures with her after, after a time until I was bleary eyed. And I figured out, yeah, she is in Brooklyn uh, and she's a show off. So you know, it's just stupid that I happened to be <laughs> nutty enough to look at her glasses and but, take a But it worked. And do it. Yeah, it worked. And then the other craziest thing was finding that car, which they showed in that, that television show, for, you know, figuring out what kind of car that was or reverse engineering was probably the biggest waste of time ever that turned out to be not a waste of time in my personal life, you know? It wasn't. Yeah, it was stupid. Um, now, did you have to go? And, and again, the way the story goes, there's not even. By the way, that answers your question about how much pressure I was under. Because if oh. I'm doing that stuff and I couldn't even give a bill at the end of the day, how do you how, how do you charge for something like that? You know? So are are you even are you even sleep like you're not sleeping at all at night? It's just constant. Yeah, that's everybody's like that. Though I bet you you're not a good sleeper either. And yeah, from time to time, from time from time to time. Before this interview, no, I did not sleep well. I can confirm that. <laughs> At the time that, that Nadia Ford's in the in the office describing to you what's going on, that she knows her mother's mur- had been murdered, do you believe her right away, or is there a lot more that you have to look into before you could go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to take this, I'm going to do it, and move forward with it? I don't know why I believed her right away, because other people that I spoke to, trying to burn up a couple of favors with this case, didn't believe her. They wanted to interview and do all of this stuff. It's a story for another time. But I, I really did believe her. Her sheer determination not only showed her loyalty and love for her mother, it just also showed that she was on the right path for something because you wouldn't be sitting at the Mitzvah Ladies Conference table with me if you were already exhausted every investigative step you could. So I knew that she was onto something. I could, you know, I got a nose for that stuff, just like anybody. You, you have a nose for what's, a, well, except in this case, for what's a good interview. Right. <laughs> You're doing great, Herman. How can this not be great? <laughs> so. I got to back up here. I 
knew as soon as I saw her crying that I had to at least look into it. Beat, hit, you know, hit the pavement and uh, and beat the bushes for this for this woman. I also knew. I could tell just as soon as I found that Facebook thing that I, I could see something at her that she had some kind of evil with her. There's a lot of stuff you, that you're not privy to. It's not attorney-client privilege or anything like that, but the woman was also a, uh, an escort. She was a dominatrix. I don't even know yep. if they did that. Thing. Well, anyway, you know, you know the way the story goes and not to beat it, but I didn't call uh, 48... Uh, I think it was 48 hours to, to show that... that, that yeah. Did it? You know what I did? She got, uh, Victoria Nasirova had already been arrested twice here in New York City, shoplifting and something else. I knew if I got her arrested again on this warrant that doesn't exist, she was going to be in and out. Or I thought there was at least a possibility that she can get herself out again. Because she was wanted on a red notice for murder. That's the, uh, you know, the, the international. Uh, for the murder in Russia, right? Yeah. Gotcha. So she's wanted on a, on a red notice by Interpol. I, I was a rookie cop. I arrested people for shoplifting. You don't go, oh, Sarge, before we go to central booking with these prisoners, I'm going to run everybody's name through Interpol and see if it comes up. Her fingerprints weren't going to come up because she was sleeping with the, the, the investigator in Russia. They never even got a chance to, uh, to fingerprint her. So nobody's running her name to see if it comes up through uh, Interpol. And she was confident she was getting out of there because twice she had gotten through the system. So, but that's what's interesting too. You know, this lady who had committed the murder in Russia, she was sleeping with one of the police officers in that department. Safe to say that had a huge, that affected the case tremendously. Do you think she could have been caught in Russia had this not been the case before she could even get back to America? I, I couldn't comment on Russia's law enforcement practices, but the, you know, from the little bit I do know about them, about this case, it's, uh, they've got their issues there with uh, What's going through your head now? So you're in Brooklyn trying to find this lady for this girl, Nadia Ford, you know, whose mother had been killed. When you first see Victoria Nasrova and see that she, yes, is walking around in Brooklyn, what's going through your head? Is it an adrenaline rush? Yeah, it's, you know, from, from something that's pretty boring, you know, like it's mostly surveillance-based. That moment where I, it all flashed through me, then I was like, ah, you know what, I'm, I'm I'm being a moron here. There's no way in the world that happens to be her. She looked completely different. She put on about 50 pounds. She's not made up like, you know, Facebook pictures and a real person or for that matter, Tinder and a real, you know, person walking around are two different, say animals, two different, you know, two different, <laughs> two different animals. Is the <laughs> in that case, I was like, maybe it's not her. And then I noticed like she's wearing a pair of shoes. So I went back into Facebook and I found her wearing the same pair of shoes. People, you know, people can have a million different shirts. You, you have a certain amount of favorite shoes. Um, so I did a bunch of checking. And I made sure a million percent that I was on the right person because I was calling my old colleagues from the NYPD, from the warrant division, and I was going to make them wake up, at, you know, get there at four o'clock in the morning and go knock on this woman's door. And now you could do that as a private investigator. If you're so confident on something, you can now contact people from the police department and say, here, I got this, this, and this, and then they could use their resources. They use their own judgment. You know, they base it on me not being an idiot, which is why I checked a million times to make sure, even though I kind of knew it was her. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still have a mutual respect thing going. You know, I can hold my head up high in any precinct and walk in and let them know, you know, this isn't somebody that read something on Reddit that decided to become an armchair detective. No disrespect to the people that do. It's something very right. Effective. 
for example, uh, Nadia. I mean, Nadia went into a precinct and said this a, a, a thousand times, and every one of the cops said, you know, blew her off. Sorry, if the FBI is looking for her, there's nothing we can do, or they went through the motions. I knew that I was onto something, so not only did I call the cops, who I knew were going to listen to me, and it was funny because I, I called them. I was so excited about it, I didn't realize that I was calling them on March 16th. You know what March 17th is? St. Paddy's Day. Yeah, that might as well be Christmas. For <laughs> Every other cop was Irish. So I had to wait one day, and I had to keep surveillance on it. I think I paid for that myself just to make sure she didn't split over that day. <laughs> that was bad. When I was like, can you guys do this? And they were like, oh. And I went, how is this? These guys are passing on this one. It's a, it's a great pop. It's wanted for murder. And a couple of other things that I knew about. And these guys were, you know, like hesitating. And I, I said, what's going on, guys? Just be straight with me. And they said, well, tomorrow's tough because there's a lot of details. I said, oh, fuck it. Excuse my life. I said, oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. So uh, dinner time, Rob, what are you thinking? Al, I, I actually think I'm going to go with my fourth dish of chicken parm this week. You're a, you're a chicken parmaholic, bro. Can't stop. Yeah. And I can get it anytime I want, anytime I need it. You can. You know how? No, tell me. Using the Postmates app. Oh, I love it. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a bottle of wine after work, maybe that bottle of wine turns into three bottles of wine, Alex. You could Postmate some Advil. Too. They do it all over at Postmates for a limited time only. Postmates has given our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code BROBIBLE. That's code BROBIBLE for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Alex, that's a lot of fucking bottles of wine right And there. chicken parm. And chicken parms. A little bit, a little bit of both. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Not speaking Spanish. Plus, you're fucked. Right. More. <laughs> right, you're done. <laughs> this is more than egg on your face, Robbie. This is the end of time. That's the last time I can walk into That's the, the end of Herman Weisberg, yeah. I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah, I'm going back to chasing <laughs> spouses myself. Um, so that would have sucked. Yeah, no, that, that was an adrenaline rush because when she, they, she came downstairs and I saw her in the same jacket that I had seen her in, I, you know, I seen her in, and it was Facebook. I was like, ah, man, this is funny. I, I actually said, good morning, Victoria. You know, I was like, happy to see her. She probably saw her. What, what did she say to you? Yeah, that's a cool problem. Steven, he gets excited yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay, buddy boy. <laughs> I might have to put it outside. You know what I'm saying? I know. <laughs> The story gonna... gets them worked up. Just <laughs> move Sorry. on. This is the problem with the game. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. You're good. Do you, do you, so at that point after she's arrested, is that when you make the call to Nadia, who again is the daughter of I, I the mother that's right been killed? There. I'm so happy to give her that news. And she started crying on the phone. Matter of fact, I don't remember a time where to let him out for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go do your thing. Sorry about that. I hope there was no, really, it's good. It, it, gave me time, it gave me time to think about my next question, which is this. Are you ready for this? When, you're, when, you, when you see her, okay, so before she's even arrested, did you call Nadia again, who is the daughter? Did you call her at all there? Or what? did you just think to yourself, it's best till she's officially arrested in custody to when I tell Nadia? Oh, yeah. I said I was close. 
I always held back a little bit. I didn't want to build up her expectations. This was the most emotional case that I had dealt with. I mean, I've seen, you know, look, I have to say, I do my fair share of family stuff and, uh, you know, matrimonial work. And it sucks sometimes to say, oh, by the way, your husband doesn't only have a girlfriend, he's got another uh, family on the street, you know, stuff like that. Yep. So that's emotionally charged. But this was a young lady whose mom was murdered. And this young lady went through her entire savings to go traipse around Russia and pay off every cop in the world until she could build up a case with this uh, thing. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to make sure and see her in handcuffs before I called her up and said, okay, we got her now. It's uh, it's all taken care of. I'll give you a call in a couple of minutes and I'll let you know what the next steps are, you know, as far as uh, ID and everything. Far and away the best moment uh, of of your career? Nope. No. No. Believe it or not, I can't talk about the ones that are the best, Robbie. Holy yeah. shit. You know, why I called some... the, you know why I called the press on this one? I was starting to say it before. She got away twice. So I needed a, I needed the press to actually, the media, to work with me because I knew that they would make a story about it, that she was wanted for a murder. I knew the reporter that I was dealing with at the Post, and I knew he would trust me after he saw the case. So I called the Post only to ensure that she was going in. I didn't want a big publicity thing about this, but I can't talk about the ones that I... Uh, and I'm the proudest of because they, I got hired by attorneys. It's over. I never write books. I don't make TV shows. That's not me. I can't even do a, a roundabout way of telling you those stories. But this was one of the best ones, I can tell you. Top three, no matter what. But, uh, you know, you, you save a life instead of solve a murder. And sometimes it's, 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 sometimes, every time it's better, you know. Do you still talk to Nadia till this day? She sends me a card on the day of the arrest. So that's March 18th. Sends me a card. She went and traveled someplace. She sent me, uh, you know, chocolates and stuff. She's really sweetheart. She's a nice woman. You know, it, it's funny. I mean, you talk about, you know, the media that goes into it and things you want to keep away from them, especially until somebody's in custody and all that stuff that you have to deal with. You've been on numerous celebrity cases, okay? David Letterman, extortion, all these different types of cases. How does the case change when you're dealing with a celebrity? Oh, I'm not going to lie. That's always say uh, that's almost as fun as going under the yellow tape that first time. Scotty, yeah. it's got oh, to be. I watch movies. I like television. I like, I don't even, you know, it's always, it changes it. It makes it a little bit more interesting. People tell me their secrets because it's necessary. And I make sure it's always like a verbal thing. I don't, uh, I'm not a big, you know, uh, email guy or a texting guy. Um, but to hear somebody, to have somebody that you either grew up watching on TV or every single person listening to this podcast knows of and to have them tell me something that nobody else knows so for like a handful of people and to trust me with that and you know the same way I don't go to sleep when when Nadia Ford brings me a problem is the same way I have to carry that one and then there's other clients that I just fall for you know the damsel in distress the stalking cases that I've done um the, the especially nasty ones where it turns out that nice people nice families are the victims and they've tried the police route and they don't know what else to do and you know it's just they're not getting the celebrities either. They're not getting private security to sit there for the rest of their lap. Some of them do. But, so, but say, most of the cases, and I, I know you can't go too far into it, but for like a I got a, I got a good filter. For like a David Letterman, all right? I was still in the police department then. You were, so you weren't a private investigator. Last case in the NYPD. So do most of these, that was your last case. So you talk about going out with the bang. Yeah, it's a good one. Is it, well, is it his defense team that, that reaches out to you and says, I'm being, you know, threatened with extortion? That, that one went to the district attorney's office 
via his counsel. And then he was a victim of, of extortion. When I was in, my, in the DA's office, I, I was pretty tight-lipped guy and, I, and they, everybody knew I didn't have a big mouth. So much to the chagrin of my peers, I, 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 a lot of the times I got the celebrity cases or the so-called celebrity cases because they were sensitive and I don't just, I don't talk about things like that. So I got that case on my way out. That one was specifically made public by the district attorney's office because we didn't see any benefit to keeping it hidden. It was actually, you know, the, the guy that was doing the crime, uh, again, filtering, excuse me, the guy that was doing the crime had already committed the crime, but it was obvious that it was going to blow up and we thought it was more controllable by Mr. Letterman doing, taking it, in, uh, uh, taking it into stride and, and just dealing with it on a personal level. And then are you able to, is there some sort of law or something that says that you can, can you then go to the person who's threatening him and then take matters into your own hands as far as whatever you have to do for that? As, when I was in the police department? Yeah. When you were in the police department, is there a certain level of things you can and can't do? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, that, that's what I had the big advantage of working with prosecutors because I had a legal brain and legal training and experience behind me. And I learned, I can't, you know, you're not threatening anybody, you're not menacing anybody, and you're not intimidating a witness or anything like that. Uh, they, they were, those people were being arrested by me for the most part. There were certain situations where I would just go and advise somebody that we were looking at them on a criminal prosecution, and if it stops now, it stops. And if you continue down this course of conduct, you're getting arrested. So that was, that's the gray area there within the law that I was faced with, but I, I had the benefit of having prosecutors who were calling the shots behind me. Herman, another question. I wasn't making it on my, I wasn't deciding on my own. This guy gets arrested. This guy gets a talking to. It was a, it was, it was a well uh, thought out. Plan. And that's what you kind of met, you alluded to before was that being a private investigator, you can do certain things or approach things a certain way that you can't when you were a police detective. Yeah. Now, Herman, I, I'd be, I, I have to ask, it'd be a shame if I didn't. I don't know how much you can dig into this at all. Somebody you were on, you worked with the defense team for Harvey Weinstein. Is it hard for you to justify working for somebody like that for, for regardless on any level with somebody like that? You said you've worked for pricks before. How do you justify it to yourself that, that you're supposed to be doing this? That's a, that's a good question. Figures, figures you ask me a good question. <laughs> um, I worked with him at the beginning of that. I worked for his counsel at the, I would say, the first third of the entirety of his, uh, you know, situation. Um, I, look, like I said before, everybody's entitled to a defense. You, you can't get mad at defense lawyers for defending their clients. And you also probably shouldn't get mad for a private investigator assisting the, de the defense attorney. I wasn't going out there, you know, as everybody thought, digging up dirt on the, uh, the females. I was conducting an investigation, a, a very thoughtful and, and focused and, and uh, very benign investigation into the allegations. So, you know, it it's, sounds stupid, but you, if somebody makes an allegation that's that old, and, they, and those allegations had really gone a, a long time, there's an entire aspect of that investigation to make sure that the person that's accused of the crime, and it wasn't this avalanche that came afterwards. You know, we're talking about a well-publicized 
you know, a couple, it was kind of drips in the beginning. Right. And, and then the floodgates opened, obviously. We all saw that transpire. Um, when I took that case and for the duration of it, I was making sure that we were doing everything we could to ensure that the allegations against him were either true or not. Because it's very important. Somebody pointing a finger at somebody, it doesn't matter if they said that man just robbed me. The man, if it's, if it's a year later and he can explain that wasn't me, who's going to find that out? You think the police department's going to go around and ask, you know, oh, let me see if there was another guy that looked just like you that day. No, they got you and they do it. So this is the balance that goes on in law enforcement and, and the criminal justice system. So I, I look, I, uh, I don't know, that was horrible for me on a media level. It still is. There are probably some people that look at me in a bad lens and I don't think that's really fair. I have a daughter, I have a great son, wife. I expect women like nobody's business. Um, but I do feel like everybody is entitled to a fair and thorough investigation on their side as well. Because, look, you call it conspiracy theories, whatever you want to call it, they happen. Wrongful accusations do occur. And even if it's one time out of 100,000, they need to be investigated to make sure that my client isn't that one out of 100,000. That's now, and so with that being said, Herman, when you then do investigate, and let's say, and for something like this, you said before the floodgates open, when then you realize these things are he being accused of are indeed true, is there a thought for you, okay, now I want to get out of this, now that I've dug in and realized that my client is guilty of doing you know, evil shit like that? That's a great follow-up question, Robbie. Thank you. But here's one thing, um, and you'd have to really look under a microscope, and I, I, I prefer not to uh, comment totally. too specifically. We, myself and, and Ben Brothman and, and uh, counsel for Mr. Weinstein, did get rid of account. So one count is gone from that, and rightfully so, and it's complicated, and I'll let your listeners and you look into it all they yeah. want, but that's the one in 100,000 I was talking about before that he didn't deserve to get charged with. And I know it didn't change things at the end of the day because right. of the, excuse me, the totality of the circumstances, but it did, uh, it did prove that at least once there was something going on there behind the scenes that would have been a wrongful accusation in my opinion. How long, you know, when you were and presented, in the district attorney's view, excuse me, because that case was dropped. When you were when you were presented with this, how long did you have to take to consider? Did you realize the media storm that it would have? Did you did you know fully what you were getting into when they approached it to you, or like you know you had mentioned that the floodgates opened? Was it then you kind of realized then you know the the storm that that this was? Oh yeah, I realized that the day that we surrendered him. Uh, and the media attention. Holy moly, I never saw anything like that. And I worked at the DA's office for 10 years. I arrested somebody and made the front page and it was a minuscule compared to that. You know, that, that guy, uh, uh, Dennis Kozlowski and Mark Schwartz, they stole $600 million, allegedly. Yeah, saw that one. That was a big media thing, I thought, until you saw what, what happened over here. And I walked him in on that first day. It's funny, my, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, you're in a music video. And there's some, can't remember the band, but it, right for no reason in the middle of the song is me escorting him into the, <laughs> into the briefing. Yeah, it's crazy. It, that was a crazy time in my life. And uh, yeah, listen, I, I provided security to him and I worked with his defense team. So I, I surrendered him. It got my face all over every single newspaper, every single channel of TV, every, in the entire world. And I wasn't my proudest moment. 
Um, but I look back on it and would I have done it again? I think, uh, you just took my next question. Yeah. I think because of working with Ben Brothman on that one and what we all knew and thought at the time, he and everyone accused of crimes like that, again, I'll stand on it, is, is uh, deserving of a thorough investigation on, on both sides of that. Right. Do you, and do you, do you, do you, is it a conversation you have to have, and, and not just the Weinstein case, but, but other ones, if you are looking into certain ones, is it a conversation you have to have, you know, when you're going to get big media coverage and stuff like that, that you have to have with, with close relatives or family and say, look, this is, this is what's going to take place, or are they kind of accustomed to, they know what is, it is that you do, and they kind of respect that? For that one, that was a little different, and it hit everybody straight. Yeah. But do you know, I'll tell you a little funny thing. I was getting texts on my phone the rest of the day. People thought that I was still a cop. They were like, oh, great arrest. They saw me walking in there, and they thought I was the one that you arrested yeah. the guy. And I didn't call them back and say, oh, you got me all wrong. I'm on the other side. So interesting little footnote on there. The people that didn't keep in touch with me that well that saw me in the papers or on the newspaper just assumed that I was, I was arresting him. Um, but that's just a, a footnote. But to answer your question, <clears throat> no, everybody knows what I do for a living, and I don't uh, – I stand behind everything I've I've done. I I, I really have very little uh, regrets for anything because I know I'm always uh, looking for the truth, and uh, that's that's my job. I mean, as we get ready to close down here, another question that I definitely wanted to ask you: Are there some cases that have sat with you longer than others? Where it's has there been a time where where you maybe thought you had a slam dunk and you haven't been able to to solve the case or get the truth out? of the case that still sits with you? Yeah, I, I hate these cases, but I, I'm often, uh, I'm given cases where suicides may not be as, you know, the motivations behind them. I have questions <clears throat> whether or not it was a suicide and, and not a homicide. Those are the ones that gnaw at me. I can't stand those cases. I take them because, again, a lawyer comes to me and I, I, <clears throat> I just feel compelled to work as hard as I can. But sometimes, you know, there's just not enough information out there and there's no pair of glasses with a reflection in it at the end of the day. That stuff sucks. I, I don't take missing person cases anymore. I can't stand them. Family calls up and then I have to ask them for money to go look for something. Oh. I, I pretty much know I'm going to find a, a pair of shoes at the side of the Brooklyn Bridge. I should explain that. <laughs> I'm talking to you like you're an old cop. <laughs> when they jump off a bridge, leave their shoes on the side of a, on the side of a bridge. But I don't, I don't like those cases because what am I going to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we found out your, uh, your daughter committed suicide. She jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge at 4.03 a.m. There's video of her. And here's my invoice. You know, who's going to win in that one, you know? I only had one where I actually found a girl. And it turned out she was just in a hospital under a, a, an induced coma. And she didn't have any ID on her. And the ME's office could never identify her. So I was able to get her back with her family. So that felt good. So are the deciding factors on whether you take those or not on what, based on whether or not you think you can actually help or, you know, you think that you pretty much know the answer. So it's best that you stay yeah, out of it. Those I've decided along the way that I stay away from, uh, from runaways and suicides and things like that. I just don't like it. I, I don't think it's a good uh, way to make a living. I think the police have to do their job. Well, if I can help, I'll jump into one of those, you know, head first, but that's, that's the one where I, I actually sit back and say, I, I, I think you should depend on law enforcement to do this instead of starting to, I mean, there are people out there that just want to, they don't feel like they're doing something unless they're throwing money at somebody. So there's always that exception, but I won't take it if I don't think I can solve a case. And if I, and listen, I, and it's a 
bad economic decision for me because I usually invest a lot of time and resources to determine that it's a mistake for me to take any money. And I don't charge them for that. I just, I went in, I dove into a pool and you know, I found out it was freezing. So I got out. I tell you, it's interesting because that's not something you really think about, like in your line of work, having to deal with these serious things. And then, you know, you think of like an invoice or something. It's a very, it's, it's got to be a tough thing to deal with. It's, it's uh, I'm the worst at the business stuff about this. And uh, I don't blame you. It's, it's a hard, it's a very personal thing to take money for somebody to find out something that they don't want to know. I just don't like commercializing it like that. I don't, uh, I don't agree with that. I, this is, look, I, 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 thank goodness. I, we are very, doing very well, this company. I have a lot of people that work with me that, that do very well and support their families and do great things. We, we do great things for charities, and anything that I can do to support certain causes. <clears throat> but it sucks to certain things I really don't like charging for. And, and there's a lot of times, that I've uh, done things for people because out of the kindness of my, heart, of my heart, when they're out of money completely and I know that they, and I'm this close to something, it's like anything else, you know, everybody's got a heart. Are you ready for an out of left field question here? Bring it. Do you think you could have solved the OJ Simpson case? <laughs> Do you look at that case and, and think, how, how did this happen? Do you think you could have changed the outcome of that case? If I think, you know what, I, I think law enforcement could have learned a lot from their missteps, every big case. And they all knew that that was a big case. Um, a tough one to say, you know, as a private investigator, you're very limited. I don't care ex cop or not. I'm not going through, this is in 1948. I'm not dropping a 20 on some detective's desk and rifling through it and going through their papers. That's just not happening. Never was, never will. And I wouldn't put that detective or me in that position. So you have to deal with the cards that you dealt and Look, Robbie, I rely on people, and I'm a nice guy, and so are my people. I get more we, – we, we solved a great one, but I, I can't talk about the details. But it all came down to one of my guys was smoking a cigarette in front of a place where we were doing a video canvas, looking for video over a bad situation that happened to this client of ours. And one of my investigators was smoking a cigarette while he was waiting to figure out which cameras were where. And some homeless guy walks up. Oh, he wasn't a homeless guy. Excuse me. He was a parking lot attendant. Excuse me. I'm, I'm mixing up two cases. Parking lot attendant goes, hey, I can't leave here. You got a cigarette? I, my guy, Billy, gives him a cigarette. They start chatting. And the, that guy became the greatest witness. And we got a kid off of a, probably a manslaughter, at least charge, uh, which he was completely innocent. from your team is, is smoking a cigarette with this parking lot attendant. All he had to do was say, no, I don't have any cigarettes. And it would have been over. But instead, he gave the guy a cigarette. The guy felt compelled to sit and talk with them. That's the stuff that I don't, I can't answer your OJ question because Maybe I was standing there. Maybe I smoked at the time. And maybe I gave the cigarette to the right guy that said, oh, the, the, the black guy that ran by, the white guy that just ran by you, or the white Bronco, or this thing, or whatever it was, you know, gave a description. How do I know? It's just one of those things. I wasn't going to solve that one based on what they probably would have given to OJ's defense team. Can you take more than one case at a time? Yeah. It, it's so, you know, there's, there's so three much. cases this weekend. It's back. It's, it's very... COVID is not conducive to, uh, to dealing with these things. But, but do you have to limit a certain time to this case, certain time to this and that case? No, I have to uh, realize that I can't do everything. And I have very, very talented people that I can give a, a, a ton of work to that can handle it. And if they can, I, I give it to somebody else on top of that. I do what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about it. But I finally realized after doing this, for, I probably realized a couple of years ago, 
that I really need to let other talented people jump in there and help out and do things that they're better at than I'm ever going to be. What's next for Herman Weisberg? Hmm. Um, what craziness this world brings me. I think uh, right now the world is going through a, a thing and uh, I'm so sad to see about all pr- police brutality and Black Lives Matter and all of the protests and peaceful protests and, and that great change that's coming. It's hard to predict, but I would like my company to be able to definitely solve problems, you know, come up with solutions to these problems and maybe um, maybe make society a better place for everybody. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing to say as a small business owner, but right now these are crazy tough times. Nobody's ever seen it like this before. I, I, I never thought I'd experience this. And I was a cop in the nineties after Rodney King and things like that. Um, it's a shame, but they're coming out and I'd like to find a way for Sage, my company to uh, benefit society and, and make it so that the police and communities can, can actually get along, you know? Last question that I have for you. If you could go, if you could go back and let's say you were in these times now coming up in the police force, would you still want to be a police, a police detective? No. You wouldn't? No, definitely not. You not would do something else? Probably. I don't know. I, I, it's, I feel so bad for what's going on on both sides. It's really hard for me to explain. Listen, maybe if I was there, I'd get caught up in the revelry and I'd try to be helpful, but it's not an easy time to even try to put yourself in it and try to help out uh, society at large too. You know, cops, there's, there's 900,000 cops in this country. Uh, there's a couple of bad ones. Uh, it's sad. I, I always liked being, uh, you know, at least when I was there and the people that I knew, I knew that there was a lot of good ones there. Now, I mean, society's just looking at all 900,000 cops as bad people. They all live next door to you. The kids go to school with you. This is not an us against them thing. And it never should be. I, I feel uh, it's, it's a bad time in society for that. I tell you, that hits home on, on all different angles on, on both sides. It really does. Herman, I, I can't appreciate your time anymore. I mean, it, it was really, really uh, fascinating right. stuff. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll get Cuz out there and maybe do a dinner or something like that. Something get like Cuz, or I want to see your th- son throw for another three touchdowns at yeah, Saquon's football camp. One or the other, okay? <laughs> Herman, you're the best. I really do appreciate it, all right? I mean, a pleasure to talk to you. Very Stay good. safe, okay? Thanks. Take care, Herman. Lifetime listener. Well, folks, there you are. There you have it. Herman Weisberg sits down with the Brilliant Dumb Show. Grace, that is that is a guy who has seen some shit. My good. I mean, if, if you could look anywhere. YouTube, Google. You, you, you got to see this Victoria Nasarova case. It is just mind-blowing. I put it up there with Megan a murderer type just as far as the – the different twists and things that that goes into it. This daughter that was just so relentless. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. That's what we do here on the Brilliantly Dumb Show. Folks, we are back at it Tuesday. You know we do this Tuesday after Friday, Tuesday after Friday. Subscribe to the Brilliantly Dumb Show vlog coming out week by week by week of the good boys out there golfing. Hope you've enjoyed the show, folks. We will see you next week. Take care. Not today.